Jesus, our Savior and Friend. The Book of Luke by John M. Fowler Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group Exploration 6 Women in the Ministry of Jesus For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 28. New King James Version. Luke's gospel is sometimes called the gospel of women because, more than any other one, it makes special mention of how caring Jesus was to the needs of women and also how involved women were in his ministry. In the time of Jesus, as in some cultures today, women were deemed of little worth. Some Jewish men in that time thanked God that they were not created a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Greek and Roman society sometimes treated women even worse. Roman culture developed its permissiveness to an almost unlimited licentiousness. A man often had a wife only in order to produce legitimate children who would inherit his property, and he had concubines for his own sinful pleasures. Against such a backdrop of women being treated so badly, Jesus brought the good news that women are, indeed, daughters of Abraham. Let's hear his words in Luke chapter 13, verse 16. Remember this verse from our last exploration? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? How happy the women of those days must have been to hear that in Jesus they are children of God and of equal worth with men in the sight of God. The message today for women of all nations remains the same. We are all, men and women, one in Christ Jesus. Women who welcomed Jesus' advent. Only Luke records the reaction of these women to the wonder of cosmic history, that the Son of God took human flesh in order to complete the redemptive mission of the Father and fulfill the messianic hopes of his people. Though these women didn't fully understand what was happening, their words and reactions to these astonishing events revealed their faith and wonder at the works of God. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, describes the encounter between Elizabeth and Mary. As you listen, notice what Elizabeth says that reveals her understanding, however limited, of the great events that were taking place. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, 
as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. After Elizabeth spoke, Mary then followed with her own words in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath shewed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Often understood to be a song, these words are full of fragments from the Old Testament, attesting that Mary was a devoted student of Scripture, and thus a fit mother for Jesus. Mary's song is rooted not only in Scripture, but deep down in her relationship with God. An identity emerges between her soul and her Lord, and between her faith and Abraham's hope. Listen to the story of Anna in the temple, told in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. What important truths are brought to light in this story? And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, in the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Expectant hope finds its radical fulfillment in Jesus. An old widow recognizes the miracle, and from then on she made it her compulsive mission to proclaim the Savior to all those who came to the temple. She became the first woman evangelist of the gospel. Can you imagine the wonder and astonishment of these women at the events unfolding around them? What can you do to keep alive in your own heart the wonder and astonishment of the great truths that you and I have been called to proclaim. Women and Jesus' Healing Ministry And it came to pass, the day after, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, 
And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, tells us the story about the miracle at Nain. This woman, impoverished and widowed, now faced another trial, the death of her only son. A large crowd of mourners was with her in the funeral procession, expressing public grief and sympathy. The loss of her only son, coupled with the uncertain future of life alone, turned the widow into a picture of absolute sorrow and hopelessness. But the funeral procession going out of the city met with another procession entering into it. At the head of the outgoing procession was death in a casket. At the head of the incoming procession was life in the majesty of a creator. As the processions met, Jesus saw the widow, hopeless and full of grief. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry, Luke chapter 7, verse 13, New International Version. The plea not to cry would have been meaningless had it not come from Jesus, the Lord of life. For behind the command, don't cry, was the power to remove the reason for her crying. Jesus reached forward, touched the coffin, and ordered the young man to arise. The touch was considered a ceremonial defilement, as we will hear in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 through 13 says, He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with it on the third day, and on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he not purify himself on the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whosoever toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead, and purifieth not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean, his uncleanness is yet upon him. But to Jesus, compassion was more important than ceremonies. Meeting human needs was more urgent than adhering to mere rituals. The village of Nain not only witnessed a great miracle, but also received a marvelous message. In Jesus, there is no difference between the emotional pangs of men and those of women, and his presence confronts and confounds the power of death. Let's listen to another story of someone being brought back to life. This miracle is recorded in Luke chapter 8, verses 41, 42, and 49 through 56. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Verse 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying unto him, 
Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came to the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them, that they should tell no man what was done. Jairus was an influential person, a ruler of the synagogue, an officer in charge of the care and the services of the synagogue. Each Sabbath, he would choose the person who would lead in prayer, scripture reading, and preaching. He was a person not only of eminence and influence, but also of wealth and power. He loved his daughter, and did not hesitate to approach Jesus for the healing of his child. In these stories, it was the power of Jesus' words that brought a dead son back to his mother and a dead daughter back to her father. Think about how incredible these acts must have been to those who saw it, especially to the parents. What do these accounts tell you about the power of God? What do they tell you about just how limited you might be in understanding God's power? After all, science at present doesn't have a clue how this could happen. Friend, do you trust in God's power? Will you trust the goodness of God who wields that power regardless of your present circumstances? Of gratitude and faith. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet before him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman, and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, 
but she hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, Jesus turned a meal into an event of spiritual magnitude that offered dignity to a sinful woman. Simon, a leading citizen, a Pharisee, invited Jesus for a meal. Imagine this scene. All the invitees are seated. There was a sudden disruption. Luke chapter 7, verse 37, New King James Version, describes the scene. A woman in the city who was a sinner rushed straight to Jesus, broke an alabaster box of very expensive perfume, poured the ointment on him, bowed down to his feet, and washed them with her tears. What do you learn from the woman's outpouring of gratitude and Jesus' acceptance of her act of faith? Ponder this quote. When to human eyes her case appeared hopeless, Christ saw in Mary capabilities for good. He saw the better traits of her character. The plan of redemption has invested humanity with great possibilities, and in Mary these possibilities were to be realized. Through His grace she became a partaker of the divine nature. Mary was first at the tomb after His resurrection. It was Mary who first proclaimed a risen Savior. Once again, the words of Ellen G. White in her book entitled The Desire of Ages on page 568. And a woman, having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people, for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. In Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48, a case of supreme wretchedness becomes the object of the Savior's supreme regard. For so long this woman had an incurable disease that ravaged her body and soul. Yet, in this twelve-year tragedy, a flicker of hope suddenly burst on the scene. She heard about Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 27, New King James Version. 
What did she hear? A little or a lot, we do not know. But she knew that Jesus cared for the poor. He embraced social outcasts. He touched lepers. He turned water into wine. And above all, he cared for desperate people, of which she was one. But hearing was not enough. Hearing must lead to faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And that faith led her to a simple act of touching the edge of his garment. That touch was faith-driven, purposeful, efficacious, and Christ-focused. Only such faith can receive the benediction of the life-giver. Your faith has made you well. Luke chapter 8, verse 48, New King James Version. It's so easy to look at people and judge them, isn't it? Even if we don't verbalize it, in our heart, haven't we judged them? Which is still so wrong. How can we learn to stop judging others, even in our thoughts, when who knows what we'd do were we in their situations? Some women who followed Jesus. What spiritual truths do you hear in this story? Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. That was Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. What spiritual truths can you take from this story? Might her spiritual life be, quote, choked with cares, end quote, as Jesus referred to some of the scattered seed in his parable in Luke chapter 8. As the hostess, Martha was distracted with much serving and was busy in getting the best for the guests. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word so much so that Martha complained to Jesus that she alone was left to do the hard work. While Jesus did not rebuke Martha for her preoccupation with service, he pointed out the need for right priorities in life. Fellowship with Jesus is the first essential in discipleship. Potluck can come later. The cause of Christ needs careful, energetic workers. There is a wide field for the Marthas, with their zeal in active religious work. But let them first sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus. Let diligence, promptness, and energy be sanctified by the grace of Christ. Then the life will be an unconquerable power for good. The author of those words, Ellen G. White, in her book entitled The Desire of Ages, 
page 525. Let's consider three more examples of the role of women in Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and shewing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Luke chapter 23, verses 55 and 56. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and beheld the sepulchre, and how his body was laid. And they returned, and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 12. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulchre, and told these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Now that you've heard these three examples, what do these verses tell you about the role of women in Christ's ministry? As his ministry expanded, Jesus went through every city and village, preaching and teaching, with the twelve disciples accompanying him. Luke also records the powerful testimony that certain women whom Jesus had healed, who were touched by his preaching, and who were of wealth, also followed him in his enlarged ministry. Here are some whom Luke mentions. Certain women healed of evil spirits, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, wife of Chusa, business manager of Herod, Susanna, and many others who provided for him. When we understand that Jesus died for every human being, we can better grasp the true equality of every person before God. How well do you reflect this truth in your attitude toward other people? Friend, do you need to root out an attitude in which you might tend to look down upon other people as somehow less worthy than yourself? Persistent in prayer, sacrificial in giving. 
Luke shows how Jesus turned to two widows in order to teach important spiritual truths. Here is the first example. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he spake a parable unto them, to this end, that men ought always to pray, and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? In this first case, Jesus pitied a poor and powerless widow who was up against a wicked and powerful judge in her fight for justice. She was a victim of injustice and fraud, and yet she believed in the rule of the law and injustice. But the judge was anti-God and anti-people, and so he obviously did not care to help the widow. Caring for widows is a biblical requirement, as recorded in these three Old Testament sources. Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. And Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. In Jesus' parable, the judge took delight in ignoring the law. However, the widow had one weapon perseverance, and with it she wore out the judge and got her justice. The parable teaches three important lessons. Number one, always pray and never get discouraged. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Two, prayer changes things, even the heart of an evil judge. And three, persistent faith is conquering faith. True faith has eternal counsel to every Christian. Never give up, even if that means waiting for the final vindication when the Son of Man comes. Verse 8, New King James Version. The second case is reported in two Gospels, Luke and Mark. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, tells it this way. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all, 
for all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Mark chapter 12 verses 41 through 44 says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury, for all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. In this case, no sooner had Jesus finished denouncing the religious hypocrisy and pretension of the scribes and the leaders around the temple that he then pointed out a stark contrast to them. A poor widow who reveals the nature of genuine religion. In Luke chapter 20, verse 47, in the New King James Version, Jesus describes some of the religious leaders as those who devour widows' houses and who violate the biblical mandate to care for the widows and the poor. As today, many gave only in order to look pious. And worse, what they gave, they gave out of their own surplus wealth. Their giving really involved no personal sacrifice. In contrast, Jesus asked his disciples to look to the widow as the model of true religion, for she gave all that she had. Show was the motive of the first group. Sacrifice and the glory of God was the motive of the widow. To acknowledge God's ownership of all that she had and to serve him with all that she had was the force that propelled the widow to give her two mites. What counts before the all-seeing eyes of the Creator is not what we give, but why we give. Not how much we give, but what is the measure of our sacrifice. How much do you sacrifice of yourself for people and for the cause of God? Let's continue exploring. He who remembered his mother when he was hanging in agony upon the cross, who appeared to the weeping women and made them his messengers to spread the first glad tidings of a risen Savior, he is woman's best friend today and is ready to aid her in all the relations of life. Another endearing quote from Ellen G. White in her book, the Adventist Home, page 204. She also wrote these words in her book entitled Evangelism, pages 464 and 465. The Lord has a work for women as well as for men. They may take their places in His work at this crisis, and He will work through them. If they are imbued with a sense of their duty, 
and labor under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they will have just the self-possession required for this time. The Savior will reflect upon these self-sacrificing women the light of His countenance and will give them a power that exceeds that of men. They can do in families a work that men cannot do, a work that reaches the inner life. They can come close to the hearts of those who men cannot reach. Their labor is needed. Okay, now let's consider a few more concepts. Number one, one of the most interesting aspects of the Gospels, including Luke, has to do with the role of women in regard to the resurrection of Jesus. All the gospel stories have women as the first ones to see the risen Christ and to proclaim his resurrection to others. Biblical apologists have been able to use this fact to help affirm the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which some people deny or question. Have you ever wondered, why is the role of women in Luke so important? Because if, as some claim, the stories of Jesus' resurrection were fabricated by the authors, why would they have put women, who weren't highly regarded in that society, as the first ones to see and to proclaim Jesus? If they were making up stories in order to try to get people at that time to believe, why use women as opposed to men? What are your thoughts? What reasons would you give? Here's another. Number two. In a society that didn't always recognize the dignity of women, Jesus gave them the status that belongs to them in God's creative order. They are children of God, daughters of Abraham, and equal to men in the new era of the gospel. At the same time, however equal before God, men and women are not the same. How can we affirm the equality of men and women before God, and yet, at the same time, affirm and acknowledge the differences and how those differences play out in the life of the church? AmbassadorGroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.